How's everybody doing? Good. Hey, you know what? Uh, some people think that they come to hear preaching so that they can know what to do. That, that I'm supposed to tell you how to live your life, based on the Bible, of course. And I think that's part of what we come to church for as we hear the Word of God. But what we come mainly for, at least my goal every Sunday in preaching, is the, what we just sang about. That coming out of hearing God's Word, that you will adore Him more. That you will love Him more. Because that's what you're supposed to be doing. I know it's internal. I know it's not telling you how to be nice to your wife or treat your employees or all these practical things. But if we don't have that foundation of adoring him, of loving him, all that other stuff is meaningless and we will in no way accomplish it. So, and I think today, this message in particular, I pray that as we come to God's word that at the end, you will adore God. You will adore Christ Jesus more. Uh, for what, who he is and for what he's done for you. I want to invite you to open your Bibles to Philippians chapter 2, but there will be some application here as well. For this uh, Advent season, so we're in the Advent season, four weeks preceding Christmas, we in the time uh, of looking at God's Word are looking at Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 11. And we're asking the question, hopefully answering it really, who is this Jesus and these verses give us an amazing summary. Last week, we focused on verses 5 and 6. Our focus was on the fact that Jesus was in the form, the nature, the essence of Jesus was that of God. That he was and he is fully God. And because of that, we can adore him. We must worship him. We must honor him and glorify him. We must give our lives to him. Now today, we're going to focus on verse 7 and a little bit at the beginning of verse 8. And we'll see that Jesus, being fully God, became fully man. And because of that, we must and we can follow his example. Let's read verses 5 through 8 of Philippians chapter 2. Have this in mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who... Though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. In these verses, we have a description of God becoming man. And this is the heart of the Christmas story. Uh, there's no nativity scene here, uh, no Mary, no Joseph, no shepherds, no angels, no wise men, because this is a, a behind-the-scenes look. The curtain is removed. This is behind the scenes of the stories that we find in the Gospels of Matthew and Luke. This is a summary of what happened when God became man. And Paul breaks it down into three parts. Each part describes an aspect of the incarnation. That's what theolo the, the theological term for God the Son, Jesus, becoming uh, a human being. And the three parts, all in verse 7, include first, he made himself nothing. Second, he took the form of a servant. 
And third, he was born in the likeness of men. And I'm not saying that they happened like one, two, three. It could have been all together. It doesn't say. But those are the three parts of the incarnation as Paul describes them. And this morning, I want us to look at each of these statements describing the incarnation. I want us to marvel at a creator God who's willing to become one of us, to become one of his creatures. I want us to grasp and be inspired by the humility, the obedience, the love, and the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. I want us to gain a deeper appreciation and a greater love for him. I want us to leave this place also better equipped to tell others about who Jesus is, that they too might understand what he offers them, that they too might adore him and worship him. And finally, and this is Paul's main point for this passage, I want us as those who trust in Christ to better see and follow the example that he provides for us. We can't forget verse 5. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Paul's not only writing this behind-the-scenes description of what happened when God became man, he's encouraging us as Christians to follow the example of Christ, the God that became man. Not that we are gods that can become men or women, but that we are men and women who can follow Christ's example of humility and obedience and love and sacrifice. So with that in mind, let's look behind the scenes at what happened at the incarnation. And the first thing we see is that Jesus emptied himself. In verse 7, Paul describes the incarnation by declaring, but, uh, and Jesus, he's talking about Jesus, made himself nothing. Or literally, as the NASB puts it, but Jesus emptied himself. Now we need to be careful here. This doesn't mean that Jesus emptied himself of his divinity. He did not lose his divinity so that he could take on humanity. We saw that last week. We saw that even when Jesus walked this earth in the form of of man, he still claimed to be God. He claimed, he said, I am, remember, uh, I am who I am. He was continually in the form of God. His essence, his nature is literally that of God. And that has never and will never change. So what does it mean that Jesus made himself nothing or he emptied himself? I think the context helps. Look look back at verse 6. Again, speaking about Jesus, Paul writes, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing. Jesus' nature, his form was that of God. He was equal to God. But he did not hold on to, he didn't grasp, he didn't grasp, he didn't uh, take hold and not let go of that equality. Instead, he made himself nothing. He emptied himself. And it seems to me that Paul mean, what Paul means is that Jesus emptied himself of his right to be equal with God. Or he made himself nothing as God. He gave up his divine rights. He didn't hold on to the rights and the advantages, the privileges that he had as God. Let's think about that for a minute. As one who was fully God, Jesus is unique. 
As God, he has the nature, the attributes of God. Now, there are some attributes, uh, characteristics, that are common uh, to both men, humans, and to God. They're attributes that God fully has, and we can have in varying degrees because of him. For example, uh, love. We, as those who are made in the image of God, we can love. We can love one another. We can love God. But God is love. And we love because God first loved us, the scripture says. Or think about holiness. We can at times be holy or, or act in a holy manner. We can do the right thing at times. Also, uh, Scripture says that those who trust in Christ have been declared righteous. They are made holy before God, by God. But God's very nature is holiness. As we sang, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is, and is, who was, help me out. Yeah, what they said. Uh, Anyway, he's holy, holy, holy. I got that part. Other similar attributes would be grace and mercy and patience and joy and kindness and gentleness and self-control. And as humans, to the extent that we rely on God and walk in his spirit, for many of these, if you recognize, are the fruit of the spirit, we have these attributes, these fruit in increasing measure within us as human beings. Now consider Jesus. Since Jesus fully relied on God and fully walked in the Spirit, he fully had these attributes, these fruit. When we read about Jesus, we read about one who loved perfectly. Uh, One who was holy, 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 sinless, pure, perfect, set apart from all others. One who exercised complete full grace and mercy and patience and kindness and joy and gentleness and self-control. He did it every time perfectly. So with regards to the attributes that humans share with God, Jesus perfectly demonstrated those attributes. He was the perfect man. But there are other attributes that are unique to God. That is, no matter how how much we humans rely on God, how much we walk in the Spirit, how much we're filled with the Spirit, as men and women, we do not, we cannot possess these attributes. They're not part of our nature. These would include, among others, uh, creating, being able to create something out of nothing. Anybody can do that? Nope. Omnipotence, being all-powerful. Omniscience, Knowing all things. Omnipresence. Being everywhere at all times. Or, or just being sovereign. Having divine authority. Having control over all things. And I believe it's these attributes that Jesus emptied himself of. Uh, these things he did not grasp. He never stopped having them. He never stopped being fully God. But he gave up the exercising of these divine attributes, these divine rights. Why? So that he might truly and fully become human and experience life as we do and ultimately die in our place for our sin. Think about what he gave up. 
He gave up his right to exercise his divine authority on his own, independent from his Father. Again, he never stopped being equaled with God, with the Father. John 10, uh, 30, Jesus said, I and the Father are one. But at the same time, he made it clear that he fully submitted to the Father in all things. John 5.30, he said, I can do nothing on my own. I seek not my own will, but the will of the one who sent me. John 6.38, Jesus said, For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Again, Jesus, as a man, fully submitted to the will of God. And we might think, well, of course he did. It was easy for him. He, he was God, right? But Scripture reveals that even for Jesus, submission was not always automatic. In the Garden of Gethsemane, on the night that he was betrayed and arrested, as sweat drops of blood poured down him because of the pressure and the stress he was coming under, he pleaded three times, Father, my Father, if it be possible, let this cup, the cup of the cross, going to the cross, let it pass from me. Yet he followed each request with the submissive, nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. As a man, Jesus gave up his independent divine authority and submitted totally to the will of the Father. Jesus also gave up his right to independently exercise his divine attributes. He did not stop being omniscient, omnipresent, omnipotent, or any other divine attribute. He was fully God, but he willingly chose not to exercise these attributes on his own. So you might ask, if Jesus gave up the, rights, uh, uh, the right to exercise his divine attributes, then how did he perform miracles? How did he feed the, heal the sick? How did he feed the 5,000? How did he walk on water? How did he raise the dead? Well, the answer is that Jesus performed miracles in the same way that others, Moses, Elijah, and the apostles, did or would do. He did it through the power of God's Spirit working through him. Scripture is clear that Jesus was full of the Holy Spirit. Matthew 3.16 says, And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And when Jesus returned from being uh, tempted in the wilderness, we read in Luke 4.14, and Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee. And in Matthew 12, 28, we read Jesus saying, But if it is by the Spirit of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. In this verse, Jesus says that, that he casts out demons not by his own independent power, but through the power of the Holy Spirit. So Jesus emptied himself. He made himself nothing. He gave up his rights to exercise his divine authority and power independent from God the Father. He submitted to the will of the Father, and he accomplished the, purpose of, the purposes of the Father through the power of the Holy Spirit. And in so doing, he became fully man, fully human. Which, among other things, means Jesus provides us with a perfect example of what it looks like to be human. Remember that Paul is writing these things that we might follow Christ's example. 
Now, we can't empty ourselves of our divinity because we are not divine, but we can empty ourselves. We can make ourselves nothing. We can give up our rights. We can empty ourselves of any selfish ambitions and desires and fully submit to the will of the Father. And how do we do that? Again, Jesus is our example. Now, sometimes we, we can make excuses about following the example of Christ, right? Uh, we say Jesus could do that because uh, he was God, right? But remember, he emptied himself. He didn't do anything by his own divine power. He did it through the power of the Holy Spirit. And, and here's the awesome thing for you and I. The same Holy Spirit that empowered Jesus is available to us. Through the Holy Spirit, we can have the power to overcome sin in our lives. We can have the power to submit to the will of the Father. We can have the power to empty ourselves of our plans and our purposes. And we, uh, that we might, like Christ, live the life that God has called us to live. Amen? So first... To become man, Jesus emptied himself. And then Paul says, uh, not only that, he didn't just empty himself, Jesus became a servant. Verse 7 again, but emptied himself, taking the form of a servant. Again, Jesus was and is continued to be fully God. He was in the form of God. He was by nature the Lord of the universe. But just as certainly and fully as he existed in the form of God, he, at a fixed point in, in time, which we celebrate on December 25th, took on the form of a servant. His nature became that of a servant. The word servant in the Greek is the word doulos. It means to be a slave. And, and it refers to both voluntary and involuntary servitude. In Jesus' case, his slavery was voluntary. He took the form of the servant. He didn't just put on clothes, uh, of a, the clothes of a slave. He wasn't in a disguise. He didn't just act like a slave. He wasn't play acting. He actually became a slave in the fullest sense of the word. In Jesus' time, a slave, a, a servant, a slave owned nothing. Not even the clothes on their back. Everything he had, including his life, belonged to his master. Now, Jesus may have owned his own clothes. Somebody may have given them to him. But he owned no land. He didn't own a house. He had no gold. He had no jewels. He owned no business, no boat, no horse or camel. He had to borrow a donkey when he rode into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday. He had to borrow a room for the Last Supper. And he even had to borrow a a tomb to be buried in. This is truly amazing and humbling when we consider what John writes about Jesus in chapter 1, verses 2 and 3. Speaking of Jesus, John writes, He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through Him, and apart from Him, nothing came into being that has come into being. Are we pretty clear on that? Nothing has come into being that's coming. Anything you see is because of Jesus, the creator of all things, the God of the universe, willingly became a servant 
to those he created. Now, among other things, a servant was required to carry other people's burdens. As the ultimate service, servant, Jesus carried the burdens that no other man could carry, the burden of sin for all who would believe. As Isaiah wrote, hundreds of years before Jesus was born, the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Jesus came to do the Father's will and to in his Father's name and for his Father's glory. He completely emptied himself of his rights as the Son of God, as God the Son, and became a servant. Now, on many occasions, Jesus, the Son of God, identified himself as uh, the Son of Man. This was not a denial of his deity, but a proclamation of his humanity. It was also a term that the Jews associated with the coming Messiah. In Matthew 20, 28, Jesus said, The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus, even while identifying himself as the Messiah, makes it clear that he came to serve. He came to carry our burden of sin to the cross, giving his life as a ransom for many. By, by, by saving us from our sin and providing salvation, Jesus served more completely than any other servant or slave who has ever lived. He served in a way that only he could. His disciples then and now cannot serve in this way. We cannot die for the sins of anyone. But his disciples then and now are still called to follow Jesus' example of servanthood. Jesus said in John chapter 13, verses 14 through 17, that if I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Jesus took the form of a servant. Washing uh, feet was just symbolic of that. It was the servant. When you came to a house, it was the servant in the house that would wash the feet. And Jesus served his Father in heaven by giving his life as a service to others. And he calls us to do the same. To the Christians, the church in Galatia, Paul writes, For you were called to freedom, brethren, not only... Only do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. Like Christ, we are through love to serve one another. We should be known as, as a people, as a church, those who serve, those who care for one another. Now let's put what we, uh, what we have so far in verse 7 together. Speaking of Jesus, but he emptied himself, taking the form of a servant. Jesus made himself nothing. He emptied himself. He gave up his divine rights, and he took the form of a servant. These, these go together logically, right? To take the form of a servant, you have to give up your rights, because servants don't have any. If Jesus would have held on to his rights as God, he would never have become a servant. He, would, he, he never could have become a man. He never would have carried our burdens. He never would have gone to the cross. But Jesus willingly gave up his rights. 
And when he calls us to serve one another, he calls us to empty ourselves as well, to give up our rights. A servant does not claim his rights, he gives them up. Ask yourself this question. What rights am I holding on to? What rights are keeping me from serving others? I know for, for myself, I hold on to way too many rights. Uh, the right to a good night's sleep. I like that one. The right to eat what I want to eat and when I want to eat. The right to be around people I, I like. The right to spend my money the way I want. The right to my own free time and so many more. And when I hold on to these rights, it's impossible to serve others. Why? Because I'm too busy serving myself. I'm too busy thinking of me. Paul says, be like Jesus. Give up your rights and serve others. So we've seen that that to become a man, Jesus first emptied himself of his divine rights. And second, he took on the form of a servant. And finally, one one final decisive step, Jesus was born as a man. All of verse 7 says, but emptied himself, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a in the when, the... when the angel came to Mary to announce uh, that she would give birth to Jesus, uh, Mary's a little confused, right? How can this be? Mary asks, how could this take place? I'm a virgin. And in Luke 1.35, the angel answers, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. That's Christmas. God the Father, through the power of the Holy Spirit, caused the miraculous conception and virgin birth of God the Son, born in the likeness of men. The word likeness is the Greek... I'm going to say it in a second. Homoioma. It refers to that which is made uh, to be like something else. To be the same as something else. Not just in appearance, but in reality. Jesus was not just some reasonable copy of a man. He became just like all other human beings. He had all the attributes of humanity. A genuine man among men. Paul makes this very clear at the beginning of verse 8. And being found in human form. In verse 6, we saw that Jesus was in the form of God. The form, the nature of Jesus, uh, therefore, is both of God and man. So when we picture Jesus coming to earth and being born as a baby, instead of picturing God becoming less, instead of thinking about God minus something, it's really God plus something. It's God taking on human likeness. Christmas is God being born in the likeness of men. Jesus exists as one person with two natures. From eternity past, he had a divine nature. And at a fixed point in time, he took on a human nature, foundational to the Christian faith. And for those who like the technical terms, theologians call this the hypostatic union. Write that down. There's going to be a quiz, and you're going to need to fill that in. The hypostatic union. I'm just kidding. Nobody's laughing, though, so I'm not doing a good job at kidding. Okay, 
The English uh, adjective hypostatic comes from the Greek word hypostasis. We see it used in Hebrews chapter 1 verse 3 where the author writing about the man Jesus says, He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. The nature of Jesus, to those writing in the new first century, Jesus was clearly a man. He had walked among them. So they had to proclaim he was also had the nature of God. And that's what the author of Hebrews is doing. This, his hypostasis, his nature, his essence is that of God. Both the Father and the Son are of the same nature. Jesus is the exact imprint of his nature. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father, Jesus says. But Jesus is not part God and part man. He's not 50% God and 50% man. He's 100% God in the form of God. I and the Father are one. And 100% man found in human form, born in the likeness of men. This is the hypostatic union, the union of two natures. The Son exists from eternity past to eternity future as God. And at the incarnation, at that point in time, Jesus emptied himself. He took the form of a servant and was born in the likeness of men. And what that means is, Jesus was born as one of us with all of our frailties and limitations and problems and sufferings, and yet without sin. We always want to tack that on. In Galatians 4.4, Paul writes, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of woman. Like all human beings, Jesus was born of woman. And in Colossians 1.22, we read, "He He has now reconciled in His body of flesh. Like all human beings, Jesus had a body of flesh. And in Luke 4, 2.52 2.52 we read, And Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. Jesus developed as a person. He became hungry and thirsty. He suffered pain. He felt sadness. Like other men and women, he, he became tired and weak. He needed sleep. And the question of all of this, the question that should be burning in our hearts is this, Why would he do that? Why did he do that? Why did God, in all his divine glory and power, become a man in all his human frailty and limitations? Well, the author of Hebrews answers it this way. In chapter 2, verse 14, Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things. He became flesh and blood. That through death... He might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil. Like all people, Jesus took on flesh and blood. He became one of us, that he might give his life for us. And in so doing, he destroyed the devil. At the cross, he defeated Satan, and he destroyed his power over death. So that those who trust in him will experience the resurrection and new life. Without Christ becoming man, without Christ dying on the cross, we would have no hope of resurrection. We would have no hope of new life. And there's more. In Hebrews chapter 4, 15, we read, this is why Jesus became man. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. 
Jesus became one of us that he might sympathize with us. Jesus is the perfect high priest. He's our mediator before God. He can plead our case before the Father. And when he does, he can sympathize with our weaknesses. Not because he fell to sin as we do, but because he was tempted as we are. And unlike us, he had to endure temptation to its very limits, to the very end. We all, at some point, are tempted in such a way, and we give in. We sin. But Jesus, every time, was without sin. He never gave in to temptation. He endured each one to the very end. And because of that, Romans 8.3 says that God, by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, He condemned sin in the flesh. Jesus was in the likeness of sinful flesh. Therefore, He was subject to physical death. In fact, it was only through His death that He could fulfill His divine purpose of redemption. He condemned sin in the flesh. Again, the author of Hebrews explains it in chapter 2, verse 17. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. That's probably the best one. The best, you know, if you're going to remember any of them, remember this one. This describes it all. Jesus was made like his brothers, like you And me, in every respect, he became one of us. He was born in the likeness of men. That he might become our high priest. That he might make propitiation. In the Old Testament, you read of the high priest entering into the Holy of Holies and and making, on the Day of Atonement, past those curtains that ripped at the cross and sprinkling blood for the sins of the people. That's just a picture. That's just a foreshadow of what happened with Christ. Christ became the true and the only propitiation, the only atonement for our sins. And he was only able to do that because he became man, because he became flesh. And that's going to be our focus uh, next week, by the way. We'll look at verse 8 of Philippians chapter 2 that says, And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Jesus was born in the likeness of men. He was found in human form. He humbled himself and he went to the cross to die for our sins. And in response sort of out of order, Paul gives us uh, the premise and then our application, then he tells us why. And so back to verses 5 through 7. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. We're called to have the mind of Christ, to follow the example of God who became man. We're called to empty ourselves, to give up our rights as Jesus did. We're called to take the form of a servant as Jesus did. We're called to live a life of humility and obedience before God as Jesus did. And so as we come to the Lord's table this morning, I want us to focus on the humility and the obedience of Christ that led him to give his life as a ransom for many as a ransom for you and me. 
But first, I just want to remind us that at Bridges, we believe that all who trust in Christ as their Lord and Savior can and should participate with us in communion. This is a time when we remember and celebrate what Christ has done for us. So whether you're a member, regular attender of Bridges, or even if you're you're just visiting, if Jesus is your Lord and Savior, then you're invited to participate with us. I've asked uh, Frank to uh, make sure everyone, I don't know if everyone picked up some of the communion elements. uh, They're at the tables, and then if you didn't, Frank's going to pass by and, and let you take those. And so today, as we, as we saw that Jesus humbled himself by becoming one of us, and now we focus on the purpose of him becoming one of us. This is what uh, communion is. That is, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Today, I want us to celebrate the obedience and humility of Christ. In humility and obedience, he emptied himself. In humility and obedience, he became a servant. In humility and obedience, he was born as a man. In humility and obedience, he died on the cross for our sins. In humility and obedience, his body was broken and his blood was shed for you and for me. So as we partake of communion this morning and remember I want us to remember that because of Christ's humility and obedience, we, those who trust in Him, have salvation and eternal life. Let us also remember and be encouraged to follow His example. To have this humble, obedient mind among ourselves, which is ours in Christ Jesus. Now this morning I'm going to do something a little different Uh, as we partake of the bread and the cup together, instead of reading the standard passage from 1 Corinthians chapter 11, which is normally what I do, I'm going to read from Isaiah chapter 53, verses 3 through 6. These verses give us a picture of what Jesus, the perfect God-man, in obedience and humility accomplished for us. This is what we remember, and this is why we celebrate, because he was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their face, he was despised. And we esteem him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteem him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid upon him the iniquity of us all. In remembrance, if you take the bread. In remembrance of Christ's humility and obedience that resulted in his body being broken for us, and knowing that we're called to follow an example, let us partake of the bread together. And also, in remembrance of Christ's humility, 
and obedience that resulted in his blood being shed for us, and knowing that we're called to follow in his, in his example, let's partake of the cup together.